0: You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church, Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Okay, well, we're still going through the Beatitudes right now as we go through the series on the Sermon on the Mount. And right now we're going to be talking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek. What does that even mean? How does that relate with us? How did it relate with the people back then and so to get ourselves engaged in the context of this passage of this verse let's do a responsive scripture reading of Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12 the Beatitudes and so I'm going to read the even or the odd verses and if I can have the congregation you guys read the even verses so I'll read the odd and if you can read the even that would be great now when he Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are are, the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. All right. So we're going to be concentrating on meek. But what does this word even mean? Have you ever thought of that? When's the last time you actually used the word meek in a sentence? Raise your hand if you used the word meek outside of Bible study, outside of church, in regular day life, and your family in the last month. No one. No one. I haven't either. The only time that we use the word meek is during Christian conversations for Sunday school or for a fellowship or if we're going through verses like these. We rarely even use this word anymore at church anywhere in the world. Now the most reason I've heard of this word was in Avengers, right? There's this character called Meek who's the best friend of Korg and that's him on the right side, the Thor Ragnarok version of Meek and on the left side if you guys follow the cartoons, Marvel cartoons, this is the meek rendition in the Planet Hulk uh, cartoon series. But pretty much he is what he is. He's meek. He's, he's one of the minor characters. He's weak. And it follows the stereotype that if you're meek, you're weak. So is that what it means? Blessed are the weak, right? Jesus is trying to uplift those who are weak, and that's why he says blessed are the meek. Well, not really, Because we first need to figure out, what does meek actually mean? Does it really mean weak, or does it mean something else? So let's go to our Bible translations, because whenever you go through a verse in the Bible and you don't really understand what a word means, especially for those of you that use the King James Version, you will then go, huh, I don't know how to read Greek. I don't know how to read Hebrew, I didn't go to seminary like my pastors did, so I'm going to go through the other translations, the more modern ones, to see what that word means. Well, what do the other translations say, and maybe that'll help us with what meek, or meekness means. Well, the NIV says, blessed are the meek. So that's what it means, meek. <laughs> For they will inherit the earth, okay? Okay. Okay, well, let's go to the ESV because, you know, the English Standard Version is the, is the new, if there's a new star in Bible translations, it's the ESV. It has toppled the, nation, the New American Standard Bible, the one that used to be the rising star in seminaries. Now everyone uses what's called the ESV. What does the ESV say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay. All right, let's go to the old, tried, and true, the revered, most popular version of the Bible, King James Version, blessed are the meek, okay? That doesn't really help, for they shall inherit the earth. New King James Version, it's a modern translation of the King James Version without the these and thous in the Shakespearean language, right? Well, blessed are the meek, okay, that doesn't help, for they shall inherit the earth. Alright, what does the New American Standard Bible say? Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the gentle, oh, for they shall inherit the earth. And then the sort of almost paraphrase but not translation, the New Living Translation, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Right? And after you read through all these translations, you realize that meekness isn't actually a word that needs to be translated. The expectation that the writers have for you as readers is that you already know what meek means. The problem is the word meekness has pretty much run out of the English vocabulary. No one knows what it means anymore. So some of the modern translations have to use synonymous terms, like mild, like gentle, like humble. And so when you think of meekness, think of a gentle disposition or a humble or mild disposition. Now the cool thing is, both the Alexandrian and Byzantine Greek manuscript text types from which these translations draw from Use the same Greek word called praeus, meaning gentleness of spirit or mildness of disposition. So that's what meek means. Again, gentleness of spirit, mildness of disposition, or humble of heart, okay? Now, praeus isn't where the word prius comes from. So some of you think, I draw a prius. Yeah, it's meek, it's gentle, and it's humble. Nope, that's not where the word prius comes from. Prius comes from the word prior, okay, before, but... Okay, is different. It means gentleness of spirit, mildness of disposition. So what meekness means is having a gentle, humbled, or mild disposition about you. Right, do you have a gentle, humble, or mild disposition about you? When your everyday life, you walk around, do people see you as gentle, humble, and mild? When you react to stressful situations, situations of great pressure and situations of anger, Do you respond with gentleness, humility, and mildness? Not saying that you're being stepped over. Not saying that you're insecure. Those are completely different than meekness. But your response is a gentle, humble, or mild in character and personality. That is what meek means. To paraphrase, you can read Matthew 5.5 as, Blessed are those who have a gentle, humble, or mild disposition because they will inherit the earth, and then that leads to another question. Why do these people who have this disposition inherit the land? Why do they inherit the earth? Now, the Old Testament is interesting because a lot of times when you read the Old Testament, you wonder, well, does the New Testament say this? Does it corroborate? Does Jesus and the apostles corroborate what David said, what Solomon said, what Moses said, and we see that Jesus does. Because the Old Testament in Psalm 37, 11 says, and this is in the context of David writing, while enemies are all around him, enemies who are definitely not meek, he writes this, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Just like what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5. Now let's answer that question. Why does Jesus say this. And first, if you want to know the reason why Jesus says this, you have to go back to why does Jesus say anything in the Sermon on the Mount. And there are two main reasons, okay? There's two main goals of why Jesus spoke his sermon, his opus, great magnus opus, Sermon on the Mount. And it's this, the first one, to show that heaven's values, to show what heaven's values are compared to what worldly values To show what heaven values compared to what the world values. Second of all, to show how to live the life of heaven here on earth. To show how to live the life of heaven here on earth. Okay? So, those are the two main reasons why Jesus spoke and gave the Sermon on the Mount to show heaven's values compared to what the world values, to show how to live the life of heaven here on earth. And we see proof of this right before he begins his great sermon. Chapter 5 is a Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 4, we see him saying things like this. Matthew 4, 17 and 23. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent. okay, Change your ways. Live now differently. Have a different viewpoint. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness amongst the people. And then it goes to chapter five and then he preaches more of this good news and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And as Pastor Curtis has preached, this is part of his good news kingdom of heaven message to show what heaven values compared to what the world values to show how to live the life of heaven here on earth. And once we view Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with these interpretive glasses, the entire sermon starts to make more sense. And the shock factor of many of his difficult, more harder teachings becomes understandable. Right? Like, what? You want me to forgive? How many times? 70 times 7. That's impossible. That's not fair. What? You want me to turn the other cheek? But I want revenge. No, you got to turn the other cheek. I'm sorry. What? Even... Lusting after a woman or a man is adultery? Isn't adultery adultery? I can have whatever thoughts I want, right, God? No, even if you lust after a woman who is not your wife, you have committed adultery. That doesn't make any sense. That's too hard. But if you view the Sermon on the Mount with those two glasses that Jesus is trying to show us heaven's values versus the world's values, and Jesus is trying to teach us how to live the life of heaven here on earth it lessens the shock factor. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense because he actually does want us to live the life of heaven here on earth. He actually does consider that living like an actual kingdom of the citizens of heaven, which we are because as Christians, we are citizens of his glorious kingdom, that he takes that seriously and he wants us to start now rather than after we pass on and go to heaven. And this includes his Beatitudes teaching. Now, if you look at this chart, for those of us who are more analytical and visual and learners, especially those of us who are engineers and scientists, which is pretty much 90% of our church, (laughs) on the left side, you have the first three blessed sayings, okay? Then, uh, in the center left, you have the world's view. Then you have the explanation of heaven's view, Jesus' view. This is why he shared these beatitudes, because it was a complete reversal of what the world thinks of certain types of people. And the reversal, he wasn't trying to be, he wasn't grandstanding and trying to teach something new. No, Jesus was just teaching the truth that a lot of the Jewish people and the Romans and the Greeks at that time forgot. He was just sharing the truth and that's it. And it just so happened that the truth was a grand reversal of what was thought of as normal during that day, even amongst the religious leaders. So you have verse, verse, chapter five, verse three, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, why is that significant, right? Well, because the world's view is this. The people who are listening to Jesus, 90% of them are poor, they're distraught, they're begging for food, um, they're not like the rich class. There's pretty much no middle class back then, In the Middle East, it's either you're really rich, you're the 1%, or you're the 99%, which is pretty much low class, the poor. And who are the people that are mostly listening to Jesus? It's that 99%. And then this is the world's view about that 99%, from a both spiritual and social standpoint. The poor, discouraged, and depressed are cursed by heaven. That's why they're poor, discouraged, and depressed. They're cursed by God. But the rich and happy are blessed by heaven, and we'll have parts of it. That's why we're rich and happy, because God is blessing us. And Jesus says, no, that's not true. If you are poor, discouraged, and depressed, you are also blessed by heaven, and will also have parts of it. And if you're poor, and, and if you're discouraged and depressed, that's good news. That's really good news. And then he teaches the next one. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Why is that significant? Because those who are in mournful circumstances are also cursed by heaven. You wouldn't be in that mournful circumstance unless God was blessing you and you would be out of that, right? God is cursing you. And those who are in comfortable circumstances are blessed by heaven, right? We have the same idea. It's the old grandparent or anti-theology 101 thinking. Wow, you have such nice cars and such a big family and you have a boat, in in Lake Sherwood, and you have, like, a mansion, God must be blessing you, right? No one ever says, oh, you have a big car, you have a nice mansion, and you have a boat in Lake Sherwood, God must be cursing you. No one says that, right? It's always, they're blessed, oh, that poor person on the street, yeah, the reason why they're in morpheral circumstances, they did something wrong, or God chose them to have, to be in that area because maybe something they did in the past or something that their parents did, Right? Those who are in mournful circumstances are cursed by heaven. Those who are in comfortable circumstances are blessed by heaven. And then Jesus comes and shares heaven's view. No, not true. If you are in mournful circumstances, you are also blessed by heaven and will be comforted. That's the good news of the kingdom. And we come to our main passage for today. Chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And why is that significant? Because in the world's point of view, those who are gentle and humble, again, are cursed by heaven. But those who are forceful and ambitious are blessed by heaven and will inherit parts of the earth. Look at Herod. Look at the Caesars. Look at the Old Testament, right? All of the great people, warriors, ambitious forceful, cunning. They're the ones that get to inherit the land, not the gentle, not the humble, not the mild, not the meek. But then Jesus says, that's not true, right? No, if you are gentle and humble, you are also blessed by heaven and will also inherit parts of the earth. That's good news. That's good news. So he reverses everything, But he's not really doing that intentionally. He's just telling the truth. This is just the reality. And I will prove that that is the reality to you very soon. And then as as you go through the entire Sermon on the Mount from verses 6 to 11, it follows that type of formula, right? He talks about the world's assumptions, and then he tells God's truth. Uh, And the people are amazed. Jesus uniquely teaches this grand reversal of heaven something that the Romans and Jewish leaders of the day weren't teaching or has forgotten, and everyone is amazed. So no wonder now the poor, mourning, and meek are also blessed by God and have a place in his kingdom, not just the rich and strong. And as a result, Jesus' popularity spreads, and throngs of thousands begin to follow him and learn from his teachings. And not only did he teach these good news principles, but everyone believed that it was from God because it was. You know why? How did people know that this unique, different teaching is from God? Because if you go back to chapter four, he teaches the kingdom of God and he teaches the good news in all of these cities around Galilee. And what's next? And signs and miracles and healings and exorcism followed. That theological reality that miracles from God were happening as a result of his teaching and his healing and his exorcisms ratified everything that he teaches because people see that he's blessed by God. And only someone who was blessed by God could teach these unique things and still be able to do miracles through him. So God the Father was for this new teacher, Jesus. Now, how does meekness... Inheriting the earth makes sense, because that is a question that most of us, if you think about it, I know most of you don't think about it, because if I ask you, when was the last time you thought about, how does the meek inherit the earth? No one, every one of you would raise your hand if I asked you, when was the last time you thought about it, like, when was, when was the last time you never thought about it? Everyone would raise their hand, right? But if you think about it, that's a really odd thing to say, Right? The meek shall inherit the land. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How does that make any sense? Well, think about those who inherit the earth throughout history. Back then, it was the Romans, the Greeks, the Persians, the Parthians. On don't know. Think about most of us, our own background. The Chinese, right? The Qin dynasty, right? How did we inherit the earth throughout history? How did they come about it, right? Well, Most inheritance, quote-unquote, of land historically came about by diplomacy or violent conquests. It was politics. It was done through shrewd diplomacy or violent conquests. And this conquest was usually justified and even ratified theologically if successful. And it would be something like this. Well, if God or the gods didn't want me to conquer that territory, then he would have stopped me. Or it would be something more combative, like, well, they weren't able to stop us because we have the true gods, and their gods are false, and that's why we were able to conquer them. And that ratified, that theology ratified their conquest. And it wasn't the meek who inherited lands, but it was the aggressive. It was the cunning. It was the shrewd. It was the ambitious who inherited lands. But check this out. There was a time that this wasn't so. And when was this time? Before the fall of man and before sin entered the world, God commanded us to do something that sounds very unmeek, to subdue and to take dominion over the earth, right? Remember the story, Genesis chapter 1? God creates man and woman, and then he tells them to do two things. The first one, we all love, even though secretly we might not admit it, be fruitful and multiply, right? Sex. Have sex, have a lot of kids. Yay, right? And then number two, take dominion of the earth and all its creatures. Subdue the earth and all its creatures. What? You want us to go ravishing around the Garden of Eden and subdue everything? And that's what we think. But then when we think deeper, it wasn't a conquest-like subjugation, but it was a subjugation that was more in the line of meekness. How do we know that? Because we know before the fall, this taking dominion was not one that was forceful and cunning for two reasons. Number one, there was no desire to hate and murder until after the fall. Okay, remember Genesis chapter 4, verses 48, the story of Cain and Abel? Number two, the animals, and, and you'll get a kick out of this one because often we don't think about this, the animals. Okay, how many of us love cartoons, Disney cartoons, where the animals talk? You guys are heartless. <laughs> Only 50% of you like that. I'm okay, because I'm one of the heartless ones, too. I'm sick and tired of animals talking. I really am. You know, I, you know, I mean, I'm all for friendly animals, but the talk and and they become more cuter than human beings, and everyone's dying, and then the, the dog that's like, the puppy that's running and jumping the ravine to, to avoid the lava from killing it. Everyone's cheering for the dog. A thousand innocent human beings just died, And you care for that one little dog. Okay. But the animals, the animals were not afraid of humankind until after the flood. Look it up. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Only after the flood were the animals running away in terror of human beings. And only after the flood did humankind become meat eaters. So we weren't carnivores before. We were all vegans. We were all vegetarians. Just look it up. Genesis chapter 9, 1 to 3 which means that we had fellowship with the animals, that we, we had a peaceful relationship with the animals. Earth, during the time of the garden, and even after the garden, even after the sin and before the flood, looked probably more like Disney and Narnia than we cared to admit it. And it probably looked more like Disney and Narnia than the way it looks like right now because the animals were not afraid of humankind, okay? So with that in mind, how was this subduing of the earth done during the time of the garden? Well, most likely by meekness, gentleness, and humility, because there was no need for force. God declared it, the animals understood it, and he used human beings to be the ones that would rule over them. They didn't run away, they accepted it. It was through gentleness, through meekness, and through humility that humankind ruled the earth during the time of the garden before sin entered the land. And how about when we get to heaven? During the new heavens and new earth, in Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. We can go to the next slide. Will we need to inherit the land by ambition and by force? Right? Do we, will we need to actually use force to inherit the land when we get to heaven? Or when heaven comes here to earth? No. Lands will be given to us by God as a reward and we will rule over them by meekness, gentleness, and humility since there will be no need for ambition and force any longer. Mark 10:29 to 31 says this. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times As much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And Revelation 21, 1, 2, and 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So we see that it is a gentle, it is a meek, it is a humble, it is a mild rulership over the land that God gives us in heaven and also on the new earth. God calls all of us, who are Christians, who are living meekly, blessed, because we will be the future inheritors of eternal land. Those of us who live meekly will truly be the future inheritors of this eternal land. Why is this so? Two reasons. You who are living meekly now are reflecting the characteristics of how it will be in heaven, right? One of the things of living it out it as a Christian isn't, am I going to get something out of it? Yeah, you're going to get something out of it. You're going to have rewards in heaven. But one of the main reasons why we live a life like Jesus, a compassionate, sacrificial, truthful, honest, integrous life, a life full of integrity, is because that reflects what Jesus is, who Jesus is, and also reflects heaven. Right? There's no better form of flattery than imitation. Imitation even is a form of Worship. When you do the things that your NBA basketball star does, you are sort of reflecting that basketball star and in a minor way, worshiping him because you're copying him. When you are living meekly, you are reflecting the characteristics of how it's going to be in heaven. And number two, you who are living meekly now are training for how you will rule in heaven. When we get to heaven or during the time of new heavens and new earth, again, there's gonna, you don't have to force. There is no, no more forcefulness. It will be a land of peace. It will be a time where everything is good. Your rulership will be through meekness, not through aggression, not through forcefulness, not through cunning or shrewdness. Now today, the temptations that you will have on this earth will always be to be non-meek, to be forceful. For meekness, like the way Hollywood sees it, is weakness. But as we see, that is not true. But listen to these popular sayings that maybe even some some of us believe in or encourage. Be aggressive. Fight for what you want. Don't take no for an answer. Keep complaining until they answer you. Shout the loudest, you'll get the most attention. They won't, know, they won't know you until you show off. If they hit you, hit them back twice as hard. And this is how we get ahead. And in this world, yes, of course, you will get ahead by doing that. We already know. Look at the Caesars, look at the Herods. They slaughtered people, even their own family, and they were at the top. But that is the temptation for us, to be like a Caesar, to be like Herod, to be like Lucifer instead of like Christ. Each of these temptations have in common this. They rely on the element of forcing someone to do what you want, if not passive-aggressively. They rely on the element of forcing someone to do what you want in order to get what you want. Now, those of us who are older will attest to this, Those of you who are young may not know this, but the older do. Most of what we want from these temptations can also be obtained by prayer, humility, and gentleness, meaning meekness. Although we will need to control ourselves, although it's harder, although it may take more time, most of what we want that these temptations reflect can be obtained by faith in God and by gentleness, and by humility. Search yourselves. How do you treat other people? Do you run your life more by meekness, gentleness, and humility? Or do you run your life more by aggression, pride, and cunning? Only one of these sets above will train you for heaven and reflect heaven's values here on this earth. Meekness, humility, and gentleness live these out. Let's pray. Father God, help us as a church together and individually